Welcome to the Sermons Podcast, a ministry of Vienna Assembly of God, located right here in Vienna, Virginia. We're so glad you've joined us today. Hope you enjoy today's sermon. Faith for Living, with a focus today on family. So these three remain, faith, hope, and love. We are moving to a different layer of talking about faith today, and it's framed as faith for living with today's focus on family. So I want you to help me out. Can some of you remember any of the things that we've learned while listening to what Jesus said about faith? I've got them written down here, but I'm just wondering, does any of it stick with you? What, what are some things that Jesus taught us about faith? Like a mustard seed. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's the most memorable, isn't it? Yeah. If, it is, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, what can you do? Say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be done. And Jesus said, nothing will be impossible to you. Then we talked about two sizes of faith that we heard Jesus talk about. Remember? There was great faith, and then there was little faith. And in both places, we find encouragement to trust in God, to overcome worry and anxiety, and to believe according to his word. And then what was last week? Do you remember? Those who were here? Enduring faith, for us to not abandon our faith. And, but to have that faith that carries us through all the way to the end. So to get us started on this conversation about faith for living, we're going to look at the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. So the Apostle Paul speaking. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ, It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would anoint my ability to speak this word today, anoint our ears, our minds, our hearts to receive what you're speaking to us, and help us to grow in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So faith is a practical reliance on our living God. In the book of Hebrews, faith is defined as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We know that Abraham was credited with righteousness because of his faith. He believed God. He followed and obeyed what God told him to do, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Faith is vital to our relationship with God. This means we are committed to living by faith. We cannot have a growing relationship with God. You know, we 
we have a big sign over here. That's what we're about, leading our community with love in a growing relationship with God. That's not going to happen without faith. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 goes on to describe faith by saying that those who come to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith not only believes in God, faith believes God is good. And we are not going to grow in our relationship with God without that kind of faith. We must believe that he is good. Romans 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing and that hearing comes by the word of God. The New Living Translation says it like this. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ, which is referring back to the chapter one text we just read. I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news about Christ, because it is God's power at work saving us. God makes us right in his sight from start to finish by faith. Now, for a moment, I want to talk about what does that mean, right in his sight? What does it mean, our righteousness? So our notions of right and wrong are quite diverse in today's culture. Have you noticed? (laughs) We hold to some individualistic claims that we can each determine what's right for ourselves. We talked about that some last week with people's attitudes towards faith being irrelevant. Well, it's good for you. It's right for you, but that doesn't mean it's good for me. We have a very individualistic approach to right and wrong. In this passage in Romans, it's important to understand the context of the Hebrew scriptures from that they form the backdrop of Paul's message. So I want to share with you on April 8th, which is the Wednesday before Easter, we're going to come together to share a Passover Seder. And learn from the history of the Israelites the reality of how Jesus fulfilled that the scriptures. But in this passage where Paul is talking about making us right with God through faith, I want you to understand this concept of righteousness. The ideas of right and wrong among the Hebrews are forensic ideas. That is, the Hebrew always thinks of the right and the wrong as if they were to be settled before a judge. Righteousness is to the Hebrew not so much a moral quality as a legal status. If the judge says it's right, it's right. If the judge says it's wrong, it's wrong. It's not about your own morality. It's about being declared right. In Isaiah, God warns corrupt judges who would declare the guilty innocent and the innocent guilty taking bribes to corrupt justice. I wish such things did not happen. But alas, there are still issues of injustice in our world today. And um, if you didn't know that, I'm just going to say there are still issues of injustice in our world today. But 
consider this mindset, this worldview that right and wrong are a legal status more than a moral quality. If the judge of the universe, God Almighty, Jesus Christ has been seated at the right hand of the Father to declare someone righteous. When he declares someone righteous, it is a self-fulfilling word. He is making us right. He is the judge and we are right in his eyes. Even when I know I fall short. Even when I know I may have fallen short recently. I'm still righteous before him. Amen. That is what this faith is talking about. And Romans says that this faith comes from start to finish into every area of our lives. When we rely not on our own goodness, on our own efforts, but instead by faith receive the good news of Jesus, we are accepting that work of God in our lives. So when we are talking about faith for living, we are affirming that truth. That's what we're talking about, is taking that reality from start to finish. The just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith in every area, in every area. So today's area we're going to talk about for a few minutes is family. How this reality of faith is at work in our family lives. In the next few weeks, we're going to also talk about faith at work, in our community, and for our church. So let's think about family as to what, what was the New Testament seeing when it's talking about family. N.T. Wright, in his book, The New Testament in Its World, he explains, Ancient perceptions of family and kinship were markedly different from modern and Western conceptions of family which tend to be much more individualistic. Families were extended household entities, normally comprised of a male head, wife, children, dependents, freedmen, and slaves. Families' members were expected to show solidarity with one another and to pursue goals that promoted the well-being and reputation of the family as a whole. He goes on to explain that in addition to marriage and birth, kinship could be created by devotion to a common set of ideals and a shared way of life. And so we see this level of family kinship in much of the language of the New Testament referring to the church as the family of God. We become a family when we have these common, the common experience of salvation and the common goals and the common devotion to Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke of those who left their natural family in order to follow him. He said, truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields, talking about that greater household, for me... And the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. 
Jesus promised us that, that it, when we have given up anything regarding family, he gives us more in return when we do that for the gospel. When we are reading about family in the New Testament, there is this devotion and solidarity, whether it's speaking about a household or the family of God in general, there's this sense of belonging and shared lives. And as we live by faith and grow in relationship with God and with each other, that's the sense I want here. I want that family sense to be strong. I believe it's compelling and important that we love each other deeply as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And it's encouraging to know that we belong to the larger family of God in our community and literally reaching around the world. We are connected around the world this morning through the many missionaries that we support. We have a little piece of action going on over there in Egypt and Europe and Every, all over the place, Africa, there's a lot of places where we have people that we support and we're connected to through our missions. And we're part of that family. With that understanding that we are all in this family of God together, let's think for a moment about our individual families. So we have many family models represented right here in our congregation. We have married people, single people, widows, families with small children, families with grandchildren and great-grandchildren, many different situations represented here. Living by faith gives a new dimension to your family life. Your vocation of either married or single is one of the primary ways your faith is lived out. I'm going to say that again. Your vocation of either married or single is one of the primary ways your faith is lived out. Now, this is perhaps a new way of thinking about this, but I want you to hear we have the opportunity to live by faith for real, <laughs> where the rubber meets the road, okay? Christian marriage points beyond itself to something more important, to Christ. As such, marriage is a sign and a wonder, I'm going to be quoting Pete Scazzaro a good bit today, and he is the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Emotionally Healthy Leadership, and, and this is kind of where this concept is coming from. We're quoting him, when Christians marry, we make a covenantal vow to love our spouse faithfully, freely, fruitfully, and forever. From this point on, every significant decision we make is to be informed by that vow. Ephesians 5, 31 through 32 says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. 
Paul sees marriage as a sign and wonder. For Christians, the love between spouses is meant to reveal how God loves the world. That passage that that Paul quoted in Ephesians 5, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Jesus also quoted that when he was asked a question about marriage. It's all the way from Genesis, but this, there is a well-established pattern in scripture explaining God's understanding of marriage. Well, this presents a long-term faith for living, friends. And I know that this is something I must continue to grow in. I have been married for 41 years. And I have fallen short many, many times of loving Craig in a way that is a sign and a wonder, pointing to the love of Christ. Can any other married person say, I've fallen short in that too? Yeah, it's just the reality, isn't it? We're not there yet. But the, but the faith that God has given to us lasts for the long haul. And we will never be done with God being at work in us from start to finish. The good news about Jesus is powerful and persistent and continues to do its good work in our lives. So I want to encourage those today here, that those of you that are married, whether it's been for one year or 10 years or 20 years, or like my dear friend Susan and Don, 65 years, right? This last, you just celebrated. Nurture a passionate marriage that overflows to the rest of the world. I'm going to say it again. Nurture a passionate marriage that overflows to the rest of the world. The best gift you can give your children is your healthy marriage, period. There's the best gift. The best influence you can have in your neighborhood and community is a loving and strong marriage. Faith must work at home, or it is not the faith we are learning about from Scripture. Ouch. Okay. Now, to those of us who are single, I'm quoting Pete Scazzaro again. In the same way that we need a robust spirituality of vocational marriage, we also need a rich spirituality of vocational singleness if the church is to mature into all God intends. He goes on to identify two types of single Christians, vowed celibates and dedicated celibates. We are most familiar with the idea of vowed celibacy today in Roman Catholic and Orthodox religious orders. There hasn't been as much of an emphasis on vowed celibacy within the Protestant church, but there is a renewed discovery of the biblical teaching about vocational celibacy. 
Now, dedicated celibates choose to practice celibacy as long as they remain unmarried as part of their commitment to Christ. And if that's a new concept for you, I'm just teaching you from what the scripture says. When we enter into faith in Jesus Christ, we move into the new kingdom. The old is gone, the new has come. And there are some new patterns of living that we give ourselves to. So practicing celibacy, celibacy as long as they remain unmarried as part as their, of their commitment to Christ. Friends, this is a powerful display of faith. Powerful. And it also serves as a sign when your love for Christ overflows into your love for others. Now, here's an interesting reality. For the first 1,500 years of the Christian church, those who were single were thought of most highly. They were the most dedicated, the most esteemed. Pete Scazzaro says the single sat at the front and the married people were at the back. (laughs) A shift took place during the Reformation, and the married people moved to the front, and the singles moved to the back. There was this idea of singles being in a holding pattern until they are married. I want to encourage us today, faith for living means living by faith from the reality of our vocation, whether we're single or married. And I don't advocate anybody being stuck at the front and another group stuck at the back, period. Whether it's about our marriage status or our ethnicity or our age or any of that, we are all together here as God's family. Amen? Amen. So for the singles, I want to encourage you and esteem you. Make clear choices to cultivate a healthy singleness. You who are single have probably experienced this unwritten rule that says something like singles need less time for making healthy choices than marrieds. Sort of an attitude like, oh, they're not married. Let's get them to do that. Or they're not, they don't have uh, anybody at home. They're probably more available. Singles are nodding their head. They're saying, yes, that happens. Church, let's grow out of that. Our singles have to develop and cultivate their healthy singleness as well. And that involves um, nurturing relationships, nurturing their own hospitality, nurturing their community that they are in. And, And the other side of that is when you're married, you share some of the household responsibilities and burdens, and a single person doesn't necessarily have that available to them. They may often have less time available, not more time available. And so I want to esteem the singles among us and say, I hear that and I realize that. And I want you to feel honored today that we are supporting you cultivating a healthy singleness. I'm getting really practical here and I get it, but this is about faith for living. Okay? We need our faith to move into how we are living. So 
in Pete's uh, material, this came especially from the, the section talking about singles, but I think this applies to all of us. He's saying, devote yourself to excellent self-care. And it is in, in order to live out of an overflow of love for Christ, you need to pay attention to this. And I believe this is true for all of us. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, watch your life closely. This is important in order to be a good steward of the limited resource that is you. <laughs> There's only so much of each one of us to go around, and we have to be, pay attention to that. To, so to have a healthy spirituality in our lives, we have to pay attention to that. Be discerning about the people, places, and activities that bring joy and replenish your soul and encourage your faith. And invest in community and hospitality. Develop life patterns that keep you connected with others. So both marriage and singleness for the Christian serve as a sign. In marriage, the love between spouses is meant to display the way God loves the world. Faithfully, freely, fruitfully, and forever. In singleness, you bear witness to the sufficiency and fullness of Jesus through your celibacy. And for those who have never married and had children, you bear witness to the reality of the resurrection in a unique way. And this is true for married people who have not had children. Listen, Christian singles are thus radical, a radical witness to the resurrection because they forfeit heirs, the only other possibility of their survival beyond the grave, in the hope that one day all creation will be renewed. The Christian single makes no sense if the God of Jesus Christ is not living and true. Put another way in 1 Corinthians, if there is no resurrection, we should all just eat, drink, and be merry. Because what's the point of any of this, right? But there is a resurrection. We are part of the family of God. Praise God, one day we will all join in the family of God together in his presence. And I believe in joyous activity with purpose. There's going to be ways that our faith continues to be worked out in eternity. Ways that new things are revealed to us in a constant manner. If any of you have wondered whether heaven would be interesting or not, I'm going to tell you, yes, I think it will be. I don't think we're going to be sitting around on clouds strumming harps. We are going to be seeing the faith of God moving in our life, taking us in new and deeper dimensions for eternity. Amen. Amen. It's worth it to live our faith out and we can't move on to work and community and the greater church if we're not making it work at home. It needs to be understood. Our faith, our marriages, our singleness flows through that. All right. So faith for living is about bringing the kingdom of God to bear on every aspect of our life. 
there is a, so much more, so much more about family. And, and we're going to give some time to discuss some of these concepts on Wednesday, but we have to wrap it up for now. If you've got some specific questions that this has engendered for you, I'd love to hear those. Um, because this is, this is, the reality is if we're going to live by faith, it's finding the way to integrate those things. How do we live as married people? How do we live in our families? How do we live as single people? The good news about Jesus is the power of God at work in me and in you. It is saving everyone who believes. It is by faith from start to finish. Every aspect of our life is to be lived by faith. It is through faith alone that a righteous person has life. God has declared you righteous when you receive the good news of Jesus. We are all part of God's family, and each of us bear witness to Jesus. And one of the most significant ways that we bear witness is through our own family dynamic, whether married or single. Let's pray. Father, I feel you're calling us to a pretty radical faith. And I pray that you would prepare each of our minds and hearts for what that might mean. I especially want to pray for those represented here who may be having struggles in their marriage or struggles in their singleness. You know us inside out, Lord, and you are calling us to yourself. I think that sometimes I've faced struggles in relationships that feel like that mountain. It looks impossible. I'm not sure it can be moved. But I've learned from you, O oh Lord. If we can just have a mustard seed of faith. I pray for that kind of faith that would do a special work in hurting marriages. In Jesus' name. I pray for that special faith that would do a work in hurting singles. And that you would anoint us to truly live deeply according to our faith in a way that is a sign and a wonder of the love of God in our lives. Pray for our young people who are high school, college age, that 
the idea of single may not feel like it applies yet, but they're, they're in this transition mode, moving into adulthood, that they would learn this reality of how to live in a way that is a witness for you. Thank you, Lord. I pray that we see some fruit from this. I I pray that you would send that encouragement of your Holy Spirit, that as, as our heart would tenderly, maybe timidly, but tenderly say, yes, Lord, I want that kind of faith. I want to receive what you're moving me into, that we would see uh, and feel your response, that we would see the fruit, that it would be born in, in loving and peaceful relationships in our marriage, that it would be born in, in um, better understanding and pleasant conversations and, and a way to, to move forward and, and overcome some of the challenges and, and problems that we may be facing. I thank you that it's from start to finish, and you just never give up. You just never give up, and that you're with us through the end. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, friends. I love you so much. Let's go forward and make it a great week in the name of the Lord, taking taking the presence of God with you. Your faith works outside of these walls, into the marketplace, into the schools, into every place you're going. And let's just see how God will work in our lives as we continue to grow in our faith and put it to work in the nitty-gritty of our families. Amen? Amen. Let's go in the name of the Lord.